Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guests. I have to tell you something, people. The weather in California is like East Coast weather now. I swear to God, today, well, tomorrow's supposed to go up to like 79. And the day after, it's supposed to go to 61 and rain. And I found out back East, I was talking to my friends back in New Jersey, where they said, Today, their sunroof is open, but they had to close it tonight because it might snow. So I don't know what's going on, but the L.A. weather has just been acting up lately. We've been getting rain, and it's nice because we need the rain, but after a while, it becomes a pain in the ass because the people can't drive. So anyway, we have a, we have a great show today. We, we have a gentleman who is uh, also from the Philadelphia area. He is from Philly. I'm not sure where, but we'll find out. My guest is Stuart Pankin. How you doing, Stuart? I am so good. Thank you. Now you're now you're what part of Philly are you are you originally from? Yeah, uh, well, we moved all over because my father was in the witness protection program. But I was born in West Philly, uh, Winfield actually. Uh, moved away, came back to Ardmore, and then went down to. I was born in uh, in actually Oak Lane. Then as a kid, moved to Winfield, and then uh, moved to you know. There's a place in my parents, the Oak Lane Apartments or something. But anyway, I'm a Philadelphia boy, born and bred. See, I'm a Cherry Hill guy, so I'm right across the bridge. But I tell people Philadelphia just so they don't get confused and say, oh, you're from Well, I learned, I learned how to swim in Cherry Hill. Where's the, uh, at the, uh, what's that club called? There's, uh, what's it? The, well, uh, the Cherry Hill Inn. Oh, you swam at the Cherry Hill Inn? No, oh, I, well, this was years ago. Yeah, yeah. I bet you went to the Latin Casino a few times, too. No, no. Uh, I, I moved out of there before I was old enough to. I moved out of Philadelphia when I was about eleven, and moved back when I was thirteen. So, no, I didn't do that. Knew about it. Now, when did you decide to start to get involved in acting? Were you a funny kid? What what led you down to this path of you know a very very good career? Yeah, thank you. Uh, yeah, I was. I I think I was a ham from the beginning, and really enjoyed entertaining my. Uh, my family and my parents, we used to have a family dinner every Friday and I used to get up and do stuff. And uh, when I went to, and I, I tried to be active in theater in high school, but the theater collapsed. I mean, the auditorium collapsed, so we didn't have any theater in high school. Uh, so when I got to college, I was gonna be a psychology major, but there was something in me, you know, and then when they were auditioning for the first play when I was a freshman, which was um, our town, I walked across the cold, dark, scary campus to the audition, and I knew that I was hooked after that. So you went in, you auditioned. Did you get the part? Well, yeah. I mean, I, 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 I was a furniture mover. I mean, it's <laughs> even worse than a spear carrier. I moved benches and, and just stood off stage and watched all the, uh, the seniors and the juniors and just admired them and stood in awe of them. So, yeah, that, that's when it happened. And also... I had a teacher named Dave Bootbaker, who was the greatest director teacher that I've, you know, one of them anyway, that I've ever had. So he inspired me, and that made me, you know, that made me want to do it. So you want to do it, you're in college, you're getting involved. When do you actually start to get on stage and get bigger roles? Your junior year or your senior year? Uh, actually, freshman year, I did uh, Zoo Story, um, which was a big chunk to chew for a kid. And... Uh, I did a pretty good job, and I started getting big parts, bigger parts in in college, starting then, freshman, sophomore, junior, senior year, uh, and uh, never looked back, never turned around, stepped over the bodies of of other actors to get to the top. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you get you graduate, and then what are your goals? What do you decide to do at that point? Well, I, in in those days, 
the, there was always the phrase, have something in your back pocket, you know, get a backup. So I, I went to uh, graduate school at uh, Columbia University um, uh, to have that. You know, whether, whether that's advisable for, for me then or for kids now, I don't know. I mean, sometimes it's better just to get out there. But I enjoyed it. I met my wife there, so that's, uh, that's a big, big plus. And it was a uh, three-year program. Uh, and I got my master's degree and uh, worked in New York at the Shakespeare Festival, again, carrying spears. And then when I graduated, I was uh, a journeyman at Lincoln Center. I mean, stuff like that. I mean, it was a really nice time to be there. So you were working, you were working on, on stage. Now, when did you decide to focus on TV? And were, was that something that just fell in your lap? Because a lot of times I know, especially when I talk to people who were doing theater back then, it was a very great time. And they, they really... Great time. They wanted to, you know, they, it was such, it was a great feeling and the community was great. And it was hard for a lot of them to leave, but then opportunities would happen. How did you end up falling into the path of getting into TV? Was it something that you had thought about or were you going to be uh, happy being a theater actor? Well, I was kind of happy being a theater actor. I was, I was uh, working you know, off-Broadway and the Brooklyn Academy of Music and became friendly with a guy named Frank Dunlop, who was a great director, English director. And I was going to be in his company at the Brooklyn Academy for um, for the next season. However, I was... <laughs> he cast me in a, in a play called... Well, the old joke is in the theater. You, you're in New York, you're in the theater, and you say, geez, how can I get in the movies? How can I get in the television? And then years later, when you're in movies and television, you say, geez, how can I get back into the theater? Because that was... But... but well, what happened is I was cast in, a, in, the, in the original year production of Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat that uh, Frank directed, and some agent saw me in it, and they needed a heavy guy for an Aaron Spelling uh, series called The San Pedro Beach Bums, Aaron Spelling's first and last attempt at hour-long comedy. And this agent, who I didn't know about, uh, submitted me for it. I auditioned, got the job, and that's what got me out to California. We kept our apartment in New York for years, never knowing what was going to happen. Now, now, what is it like when you go from theater and all of a sudden you're popping up on, on a series and it's a different um, it's a different regimen? I mean, you know, you guys as theater, you work every night. TV is a medium where it's, you know, you can shoot, you sit around, shoot, sit around. How did you acclimate to that? And how did you acclimate to L.A.? Well, uh, L.A. was not a big problem. Um, uh, as far as the movies are concerned, you know, people ask me that a lot. I mean, what's the difference between stage acting and film acting? And there's not a lot of difference. I mean, you have to learn about how to act in a long shot and how to act in a close-up. But my first experience with the San Pedro Bums, which later began a series, the San Pedro Beach Bums, uh, uh, soon to be forgotten, um, was, it was fascinating. I mean, I'd never... I did one other movie as an extra in New York. It was the Next Stop Greenwich Village, and I used to sneak down to the to the set because I was in the extra holding pin. I used to sneak down just to see it. I'd never seen anything like that. The walls move and people music played, and then it stopped and people talked and they're dancing, but there's no music. I, I never saw anything, you know, kind of if you're into acting as magic as that. So when I came to California and did the did the show, the, the series. Again, everything was new. Everything was exciting. I mean, what the, how, to, how they put the microphones on, where they put the cameras, what kind of lights they used. Everything was exciting. So that was, uh, that was fun. Now, when that series ends, do you decide to stay in L.A. or do you say, I'm going to go back to theater? I mean, where, where is your mind at? 
Well, uh, two things. We, my wife and I, acted for years and continued to do that in a in a summer theater in Pennsylvania, where Joy went to to school and she helped actually create this uh, summer theater. And I, we worked off and on f- for you know thirty forty years there. So we continued to do that in the summer. But after the show ended, I got a development deal at Universal, which kept me in town for a year. Uh, it, it wasn't a lot of money, and uh, you know I still was on unemployment. But uh, we said, okay, let's see what happens here. And then, uh, so we stayed around. Nothing great happened. Uh, I was required to do a pilot for uh, for Universal, which I did. Nothing happened there. And then the then the development deal ended, and uh, I just banged around trying to get work. And then in in the early '80s, I got not necessarily the news, which you know just kept me here and kept me going for a long time. Well, it's funny. You so that's also, what happened with that. You were also in the Hollywood Nights, which, you know, back back in, uh, right. in, in the Philly area, there, we had a cable network called Prism. And Prism was uh, like an HBO before HBO. And it showed. Right. And we watched that movie. And that movie, if, I'm, I'm 52. If you ask someone who's uh, 48 to, to 60, they know that movie and they love that movie. Well, that, thanks. That, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, a lot of people know that movie, and uh, I'm not sure why, but I'm happy that they do, uh, especially guys like in uniform. I mean, you know, cops, and so they, they hey, hey, Hollywood, you know, I mean, it happens all the time. And so I'm, I'm guessing and I'm thrilled that it was as successful and, and, and crowd-pleasing as it was. Yeah, I did. you're right. I did that, and, and a couple of years later, I did a movie called Scavenger Hunt, and those that that kind of that kept me going until until not necessarily the news. That's go. Oh, you're good. You're, you 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 do your research. Now now, how did not necessarily the news come up? Because once again, HBO that was in the infancy of HBO. I may be wrong, but I think that was very early in HBO. And it was you oh. know SNL was so popular, and necessarily the news was something different. How did that right. come up? And would you being a stage guy and being a you know, an actor in different roles, whether it be Dudley in Hollywood Nights or, you know, whatever show you're in, what was it like to all of a sudden you're being an anchor somewhat and it's something that you really have to deliver. You're, you're delivering funny material, but you have to deliver yeah. it with a, with a, you know, like it's in the news. Right. Well, getting that show was an interesting, uh, speaking about the San Pedro Beach Bums audition, for that show years ago with an act with a guy named Michael Jacobs. This is a complicated, long, boring story. If anybody wants to go to the bathroom, they can certainly do it. <laughs> uh, Michael Jacobs remembered me when he was doing the show. Michael Jacobs is the guy who did Girl Meets Boy, Girl Meets World, uh, My Two Dads. He's a tremendously successful um, television producer. So he was doing a show called No Soap Radio, and he wanted me to do it. So uh, I, I, I guess I auditioned for it, and I got it. One of the writers on No Soap Radio was a guy named Ron Richards who was writing for Not Necessarily the News. So when one of the actors had to drop out, Ron came up to me and said, you want to audition for Not Necessarily the News? I said, sure, great. I auditioned, I got it, and it was it was like guerrilla theater in the beginning. I mean, up at 5, reporting to the location at 7, quit at 1, back at 5, to the point where I, I just said, look, you know, um, I, I can't do this. And then things got a little easier. But in the beginning, you know, the girls were dressing behind their car doors. And our first makeup room was uh, was the was the bathroom, the men's room at the Shell station. And they asked us to buy gas so we could stay there. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was, it was, 
it was a great learning experience. And then we got some sort of a, a motor home that we all stayed in and became and still are friends for however long that show's been off the air. I mean, I, I love those people and, uh, and still stay in touch and happily so. Now, were you getting... And right? I'm very proud of Not the News, incidentally. I oh. mean, that's a... You know, that, that, it's a show that I will always point to and say, thank you for, for letting me be a part of it. Now, were you getting recognized for that show? And if you did, I'm guessing, you know, not everyone had HBO that. It's not like now. You know, HBO was one of those things. It was, you know, I mean, it wasn't, people weren't used to paying for a lot of TV. Were you getting recognized right. for that show back then? And were they, it was probably a pretty hip, heady crowd that was recognizing you. You know, it, it's interesting that how many people like and, and uh, like that show and, and still remember it, considering it, that at the time, cable penetration, you should pardon the expression, was about 29% of the industry in those days. And that's, that's basic cable. I mean, people, then it was even a smaller percentage of people who paid for HBO. You know, and so you're, you're dealing with a very relatively small percentage and it's to the credit of the, of the, of the you know, Moffat Lee, the guys who produce it, the writers, the actors. I mean, we're, we're, to have that show have a small audience and be, you know, to this day remembered is, is terrific. And as far as being recognized, yeah, you know, not necessarily in L.A. When I used to go to New York a lot, people would recognize you. In L.A., nobody, nobody talks to you. Now, now you seem like you had a, um, you were doing a lot of comedy, but then you, you end up on like Falcon Crest. And, and other, you know, um, and other, well, uh, and Knots Landing. How does that come yeah. up? How does that come across? Because didn't people picture you because of the roles you have, you know, as I said, Hollywood Nights, not necessarily the news. Didn't people picture you as a more of a comedic actor? And I, back then, it was like when, you know, I know actors wouldn't do movies. It wasn't, I mean, a lot of actors, like the stars wouldn't do movies. It didn't seem like there was always a big crossover. How did you cross over into that, into that, um, into more of the drama, I mean, you were, of course, you were trained in it because you did theater, but a producer doesn't right. know that. They see you on Not Necessarily the News, and they think, they they think, oh, that's that's Stewart. How did that happen? And, and I've heard when you're on one of those one of those night soap operas, everybody was watching it, and everybody knew you. Right. Right. Uh, you know, it's a great question, and the answer's got to be a lot shorter because I, I don't remember. I, I remember auditioning for both those things. Just auditioning for him and getting him. Falcon Chris was an interesting story. I was I was scheduled to do a two day part Friday and uh, and Monday, and it was with Jane Wyman, I think. So I did my first scene with Miss Wyman over the weekend. Uh, it's a long story, but I had an accident uh, and I couldn't continue doing the show. And they got somebody else to replace me on that part. But Jane Wyman, God bless her said, I like that kid, get him something else. And because of that, I ended up doing about seven or eight of them uh, because of her kindness. And that's how that happened in Falcon Crest. As far as Knott's Landing, um, just, again, happy to get it. Don't remember how I got it. And Michelle Phillips and I uh, worked a lot together, uh, became real friendly. And, again, it's, it's, it's like if you're a comic, it's like the theater and television business. If you're a comic actor, you, you, you kind of, well, a lot of times you want to do drama. If you're a drama uh, actor, you want to do comedy. So it just—it it was just very, uh, very fortuitous that I was able to do those parts. The only other drama that I remember doing in television was years ago on House Calls when I played a crazy uh, uh, bomber 
they wanted to blow up the hospital. But that was it. Most of the stuff I do is most of the stuff I do is comedy. Now, the uh, after, after you know you're doing the drama all this time when you're doing the the different shows and and the movies and Lots Landing, were you also getting pilots? Because I know back then it seemed like everybody everybody was getting pilots. Did you also have a, a busy pilot schedule? Uh, in the old days, yeah, I did about. I did about five series in my life and about four pilots. Um, the series lasted anywhere from, you know, not necessarily the news, which was six years, to, to, to ten shows. And the pilots were pilots. They, they, they came and went. Uh, but in, the, in those days, in the, in the 70s or the 80s, they were really looking for comics. I mean, apparently, on every producer's desk, there were stacks of ready-for-this VHS tapes about comics because they wanted to put comics in in television shows. I was never a comic, and I never want to be a comic. But I was lucky enough to get whatever pilots and series I got. Yeah, so I was fairly active through the 80s doing it. Once I got Not Necessarily the News, I couldn't do a lot of pilots. I left Not Necessarily the News to do something called Nearly Departed with uh, Eric Idle and, uh, and Caroline McWilliams. And that didn't last a long time. But, um, you know, Not Necessarily the News was, was changing, and I was very happy to move on. So, yeah, so it wasn't a hard decision. You basically said, you know, even though you were from the gonzo days of it, you said, okay, the time's the time is now. Uh, yeah, I was coughing. But you said it, you said to me that the time is now to move on? When you, you said. to move from uh, Not Necessarily the News. You were, you were ready to move on when you left and go? Yes, yes. And then right after that, they changed the format. All the other guys left, and they got a couple of other people. It lasted another two years, uh, and then and then left. But I was I was happy to, to move on. I I mean, it's a great experience. Never regret it for a second. Again, made a lot of friends, wonderful people, wonderful actors who I still love, and uh, it was a good part of my life. Now, were you still doing theater? I know you said you'd gone back. Could you squeeze theater in? Because it seems like. You probably missed it because it's what your background was. Or were you just basically yeah. in L.A., getting work, getting a lot of work, and just not having time for theater? Oh, no. From the uh, from the early 70s when I was in L.A., through uh, pretty consistently through the 80s and even into the 90s and 2000s, Joy and my wife and I would go back to this theater, St. Vincent Theater in, the, in Pennsylvania, and we did, you know, seasons of plays there uh, occasionally. And, and if I couldn't, it was because I was working in L.A., but every chance we had, we got back to, uh, to, to Pennsylvania to do plays. I mean, the last one we did was in 2014. We just, we just did a play back there. So, you know, it, it, it's always... And I do a lot of plays at the Santa Monica Playhouse now, and, uh, and I've done plays at the Odyssey. I mean, I, I'll never not do theater. I mean, that's... That's, I love it. I mean, it's it's where my heart is. Well, as an actor, what's it like coming back to theater after you're doing a TV series where you have shorter days and, you know, not shorter days, they can be long, but I'm saying shorter scenes. What's, do you have to sit there and go through some kind of, you know, get prepped to get back into theater? Because, you know, you're going to have long plays. You're going to be busy a few nights a week. I mean, how do you get mentally prepared for that? It's just, I think it's in my DNA. I mean, I started to do this, you know, in the in the late 60s in college. It's, the only thing you have to do is, and television helped that, especially not necessarily the news when you had to memorize a lot of material, your brain becomes used to learning lines. When you go back to the theater and you have a play, you just got to 
take a deep breath, hunker down, and 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 learn the lines. That's the only thing that's uh, that's maybe a little different from uh, from TV and movies in that you got to know the play, you got to know the whole play. Not, they don't cut in the theater a lot. Right. <laughs> so, so you're doing the plays, you're doing the theater. Then, then you get the dinosaurs and you get the voice work. How did voice work come yeah. come up? And and were you was that something that people say doing voice work is great? You can go show up in your bathrobe if you want. Best naked. I've often gone naked. I was arrested two or three times. Uh, dinosaurs, again, interestingly enough, happened for Michael Jacobs, who my relationship with him goes back to the San Pedro Beach Bums. He was producing dinosaurs. And uh, apparently every actor in, in, in L.A. wanted to read it. I went in, and I read it, and I got it. Uh, um, and because of dinosaurs, which lasted three years, I got to know the Disney uh, people, voiceover people, and I did a bunch of... Uh, shows for Disney, voiceover shows for Disney. So it was, it was a. I just got a check today. You know, for <laughs> it's been a, it's been a really swell, been very, very good to me. Dinosaurs. Well, it's it's also there wasn't a lot of shows with you know. I mean, it, it was. I mean, it was a. It was a different. Uh, for it was a different. Uh, I can't think. Four, not four, I can't think of the word. But it was like, did you think it would become very popular? I mean, what was what? What did you think when you were in that show? Did you think it would last for three years or three seasons or however long it lasted? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, once that thing started to hit the air, um, people were extremely um, enthusiastic about it. As a matter of fact, just recently on Facebook, there's a whole there was a whole uh, groundswell about let's do dinosaurs again, let's do dinosaurs again. So people are still. I mean, we're talking about the show that ended in '96. Probably dinosaurs, uh, not artistically. Artistically, it was great. It was a, although you wasn't exactly sure whether it was an adult show, whether it was a kid show. The dinosaurs were fun, but the things that we talked about in the show were um, adult themed. In fact, the last show we did when the dinosaurs died. Spoiler alert! Um, the people say, and I agree with them. That it was a great, great episode, not only for dinosaurs but for television. It was a very emotional thing. For a bunch of puppets who were going to die, um, maybe continues to be the most expensive show uh, ever produced on television <clears throat> because those puppets were extremely expensive to maintain. So uh, that that was that. And I guess I don't know much about the ratings. I didn't really care too much about this. But I guess if the ratings started to drop, uh, maybe the network didn't want to spend the money to, to keep the puppets going. I don't know. Maybe maybe Brian Henson, you know, had other things to do. I know Michael moved on to other things. But, but again, dinosaurs, uh, people still talk about dinosaurs when they see me. Now, do people know your voice from dinosaurs if you go somewhere? Is that one of those things? Like, yes. I mean, so, I mean, like, how, like, give me something that's happened where someone heard you talk and said, hey, wait, you were dinosaurs. Does it happen a lot? Or, I mean, and, and probably back then it happened more, but and then how do people react, you know, or if a kid, if you meet a kid who knows the voice? How would they react? Because it's all of a sudden it's like, wait, you're not you're not a dinosaur. <laughs> well, that's a that's a multiple part question. Uh, right, for as far as the kids, if they see on a resume, or if I'm doing something, and they see he was the father of dinosaur. It's like you were the dinosaur, you know. And then they say something. I always, you know, on him, on whatever it is. Uh, but they're extremely excited about this, especially the young people, and even people that are not so young. So that's kind of fun. I don't think anybody. One person, one time years ago, I was in a restaurant, a noisy restaurant, and I'm sitting at a table with my wife, and a guy comes over and he says, 
are you Stuart Pankin? I said, yeah, I said, do you do dinosaur? And I'm just talking to her. He says, I'm in the sound business. I do mixing at the, at the studios, and I heard your voice. I recognize your voice. That was one of the strangest things that ever happened. But as far as the as far as people wrecking, I mean, I don't go around you know talking like the dinosaur. But um, if they figure out if the kids figure out that I'm I'm the dinosaur, they like that a lot. That's that that gives me a lot of clout, you know, in that world. Now you know you said it led to a bunch of other voice work for you. Was that a, just an easy transition, or did you have to audition for stuff, or did they say we really like this guy, we want him to come in? And what was your what what went on with the voice work? Did you did you find it relaxing? Did you find it challenging? I mean, because as I said, for theater, TV, to voice, it's they're all different across the board. Right. Well, when I was doing when I was doing dinosaurs, a lot lots of times um, because of the Disney connection, they asked me to do stuff. Uh, I, I'm, I'm actually just I brought up what I call my voiceover you know, history. I, I auditioned for a bunch of stuff, and sometimes if it was a Disney project, they, they gave it to me. I did a couple of voiceover pilots, Uncle Gus and uh, Superdog Mr. Monkey. Uh, I think I auditioned for those things, but like I said, if it was Disney, often they gave it to me. If not, I, was, I went in and happily auditioned. Now, after doing a voice gig, was it easy to go back to doing a TV or movie gig or theater gig, or was it something? Because was it something that once again you have to get yourself in that mode again? No, I mean, I mean that's that's a separate thing. I just you compartmentalize that. You go and you do the voice stuff, which is great. It's a great gig, and then you go and you do a, a play or a TV show, and that's a whole other. You know, then you, you, you that part of your brain is involved, is engaged. Now, no, I mean, they're, they're two separate things. Now, as you're working through like the 80s through the 90s to 2000s, what roles were you getting called upon? Like you said, you know, with the San Pedro Beach Bums, they wanted a heavy guy. You know, Dudley, they wanted yeah. a nerd. When did you start seeing your roles get changed into different characters? Is as you got older, did they say, well, maybe he can be a lawyer or maybe he can be this? Or what was your uh, arc? As, as well, that's an interesting question. Uh, when... <laughs> When I was, uh, sometime in the 90s, I, I lost a lot of weight. And that actually generated a few, um, a few, probably I was more castable for parts that didn't require, quote, char heavy character, heavy meaning heavy character roles and heavy meaning weight. So when I lost weight, I, I used to, I started to get things, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at my resume, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter, but lots of things that necess wasn't necessarily the funny fat guy. Um, and that was great. Um, it didn't have anything to do with the weight. So I, whether the weight had anything to do with getting different kinds of parts or whether I would have gotten them if I was still heavy, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Uh, but that in the 90s, I'm looking at stuff, you know, that's when things started to, when I was a little thinner, and I started to get a lots, of, lots of different things. Now, what made you decide to want to lose the weight was it something was it health for health reasons or did you say you know i want to go for different in my career i mean what made you sit there and finally say hey you know what? i want to i want to lose some weight and you know and how did you go about losing your weight uh the reasons the answer was both reasons you know health and uh, and career uh, health probably being primary and then the career thing followed and as far as uh, I, i've lost a lot of weight twice in my life uh the first time 
my my wife was just she was my you know mentor and teacher and and she really helped me drop to about 75 pounds. The second time I did it, I just decided to do it. Uh, it was nutsy cuckoo. My doctor actually said, I never seen anybody, I lost about 95 pounds. She said, I never saw anybody do anything without a program. And I, and I didn't, wasn't on a program. I just stopped eating bad stuff. So you kids out there, put down the donut and start grabbing carrots. Hey, I, I went through a health issue a few years ago and I had to change my diet completely. And you're right. If you sit there and you just concentrate on eating healthy, you can you can have crap every once in a while, but it's when you have crap every day when you sit there. You know, I see. You know, I talk to people, and I'm like, how do you how do you sit there and go out to eat every night when you know? First of all, the stuff is loaded with sodium. They don't even know how much yeah. salt they put in, and it's unhealthy. But people just do it because they think because they're eating at a nicer restaurant, they think, oh, it's healthy. But a lot of times it isn't. Well, yeah, I mean, and, and also the, if you're younger. And you don't have anything, a health problem knocking you on the head, you, you feel kind of immortal. Oh, it's not going to happen to me. It's not going to happen to me. Well, you know, sometimes it doesn't happen. Lots of times it does. So it's, uh, I was happy that I lost the weight, not happy that I put it back. But uh, I figure I want to be like Alexander the Great, live a short, glorious life and <laughs> die at 24. Wait, I missed that. No, I'm having a long, glorious life. Now, as you're acting, you ended up also being a Nick Frino. That was a. Uh that was what was it like to be on a series that you were on it recurring a lot. Or you were regular. I mean, that was on. That was you were on for like twenty two episodes. Uh, it, great. I mean, any any show that you're on for twenty two episodes, it's, a, it's great to, to go. You know, to go to the set to uh, to meet people, to have fun with people, and to get a decent paycheck. It's always good. It's not, there's really no downside unless you just hate somebody and you don't want to get up in the morning. But that that wasn't the case with Nick Frino. Now, now you're sitting there, and you know, is it true that you, when you're on a show, you get pretty attached to the to the crew and the staff, and when you leave or when it ends, it's a very tough thing. I mean, I know for not necessarily you left on your own, but what is it like when you, you know, is there? Do you go through? Do you miss it? Do you sit there? I mean, besides the money and going to that same place every day, do you miss the relationships with the crew and the staff if you get along with them? Well, I, I think it depends on on how long the show is. I mean, twenty two episodes. Uh, well, when you do a three-camera, four-camera show, the crew really is like they come in two days, and you don't really get to know everybody. You get to know the the, the stage management staff, and yes, I I, I, I always miss those guys. Uh, but you know, you t it's like I love you, baby, but the season's over. You take a deep breath, you say goodbye, you exchange you know phone numbers and emails, and and you just move on. You just got to do that. And if you're lucky enough, like we were, to, not necessarily, it was just to stay in touch. That's that's icing on the cake. Now, you also, you were in some sitcoms like Suddenly Susan and Mad About You. Do you see a difference in sitcoms from like through your years? I know you also, in your earlier career, you, you were in Barney Miller, which is a, it's a great sitcom. And it's Mad About You is a great yeah. sitcom. Have you noticed how have sitcoms changed? And do you think the writing is, you know, still as sharp? Because that, that's the thing, like Barney Miller was sharply written. And, and that back then there was sensors and you couldn't really say a lot how do you think the whole sitcom has changed well the risk of uh, of never getting a job again i think that the sitcoms in in the uh, in the old days meaning the barney miller days and uh, night court days and i think they were sharply written i think that they were they were uh, the, the writing was 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 sharp as opposed to jokey and relying a lot, uh, and which is not, I mean, I'm not approved, but, it, you know, anytime you rely on 
sex in bed language and in, innuendo. I don't think it's going to be as good as, as, as stuff that, that doesn't have to do that. I mean, some of the, the most wonderful love scenes, you know, happened in the movies in the days when there were strong, you know, censorship, and they had to get around that. And now, when you can say everything, you can do everything, you just keep, you keep raising the bar, and it's got to be more violent or more sexy or more, the jokes have to be dirtier. And, you know, it's, just, it's, not, my, it's not my stuff. It's not my style. Although I will work for any sitcom ever, and I'm just putting that out there. Right. <laughs> now, also, it's changing the fact that back in the day, you could play two different characters. You know, you could be on one season as a character and be on another season as another character. It's, right, right, right. I mean, what is that like when you sit there? Like, do you ever think in your head that, oh wow, you know, I played this, I played someone else. The the, the cast is going to notice, or people going to notice, or you just say, ah, they're not going to remember. It's 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 acting. That, you know, I, I that's a good question. I mean, like a Night Court and uh, and uh, Barney Miller. I mean, I played two different characters in different scenes. I think they still do that, not necessarily so much today. Uh, I, I don't think that people care that much about that. I think that they forget. I think that they accept. Um, if you happen to, if you're lucky enough to do that, I mean, lots of people nowadays—not lots, but a, a few I've seen—are regulars on on different series. Uh, you know, I think people accept that. I mean, if you're in the business, you might say, "Oh, look, Johnny's got two shows," but I think most people they just accept you as the character and, and move on. Now, as an actor, because cable has blown up i mean you were in the very beginning of k i mean you know as you see we said you know the the market penetration back then wasn't a lot when you you started but not necessarily the news right now as an actor with all the cable in the last i guess 20 years is it mm-hmm. something that it gives you better opportunities because there's better there's better material because they, they don't have to worry about the network standards uh, that's a great question, or great two questions. One, it does give you more, it uh, gives give actors more opportunity to do stuff. I mean, I've done a lot of web stuff, um, just not for the money, but because, you know, I like the people, and, and it's fun to keep your, your your toe in. And as far as, um, you, you, what was the question you said? It was, they do, you think, any, do you think the, the content has changed for the fact that a, a, a cable network you know, doesn't have to worry about right. a regular network because, first of all, they're not dealing with sponsors. Right. Well, what? What? T- tell me what you mean by cable. Do you mean like cable, FX or like a, yeah, any of it? Or? FX, HBO, Netflix, because they all they all pretty much do their own thing. I mean, Netflix puts some right. risque. I mean, not, uh, FX puts some risque right. stuff on, and you know, but NBC, right. as you said, a lot of their stuff that's risque is very jokey, in your face, risque. So you know. Right. It's a joke. Don't take it as being risque. Yeah, I, I haven't seen anything. I mean, I watched lots of cable stuff, and there are shows that, that are violent, perhaps more violent now than before, or more sexual than before. I, it doesn't strike me as is that it's, oh, I hate to be cliche, but gratuitous. I mean, it seems like there are shows that I watch that uh, the violence and the sex seem to be, you know, okay. The nice thing about but not necessarily the news is when we were on cable and we had the opportunity to do, well, mostly anything we wanted to. We never did. And we were all very proud of that. We didn't use nudity. We didn't use bad language. Nowadays, they don't have those restrictions, and they do use nudity and bad language. And it's just a question. I mean, I think you've got to judge it show to show. Um, if, it's, if it's just... 
by the expression just to get a reaction to get a knee-jerk reaction that's one thing if it's part if it's written into the into the script or the story uh to illuminate it well it's like as always you know it's like the actor saying i'll do nudity but only if it's important to the plot well you know that's there is truth to that now, what are some? Of the sh- I, I will do nudity if it's. In, if you it's will do nudity. Okay. Yeah. What are some of the shows you watch and enjoy right now? I mean, is, I mean, when you sit down because you're in because you are an actor. I'm sure it's like when a when a ball player sits down and watch other watches other ball players. He's like, ah, oh, you know, that guy's swing is off. Do you do you critique when you act, or do you pull yourself out of the acting and just watch to enjoy? Well, <laughs> you you try just to, <clears throat> excuse me. You try just to watch to enjoy it. My brother-in-law, who's not in the business, talks about my wife and me being, you know, harsh critics. When we, when we watch things, if something pops out, we, you know, oh my God, that you know. But I don't turn something on to be critical. I turn things on to to enjoy them or pass the time or whatever people do when they watch television. Uh, but no, I don't. We don't set out in saying, you know. I mean, I'll watch a show that has an actor that I like. And then if there's another actor in it that's good or bad, you know, we'll comment on it, but that's not why we turn things on. And as far as the shows that I like, uh, well, network shows, you know, Last Man Standing and Modern Family are still two. Uh, I watch a lot of stuff. Don't tell my wife, but uh, we enjoy Grimm and Blue Bloods and Hawaii Five-O. And then Cable, I've been watching, well, The Crown. I love The Crown. I've been watching Victoria. I've been watching The Young Pope, which I think are, are good shows. Do you like The Young Pope? Yeah. I watched the first episode. I, I was I was a little thrown off, and I, I haven't given the second episode. I, I really didn't get it. Uh, it. It was sort of odd. I mean, is it? Does yeah. it? Does it's it very get better? Stylized. Can you acclimate? I mean, because I want to watch it because we have HBO, and me and my girlfriend both watched it, and we're like, if you're paying for HBO. You gotta watch HBO, or else don't don't have HBO. You know, it's like I watch Boardwalk Empire, I watch The Sopranos, but now I'm like, you know, I mean, what? How long will it take me? Should I rewatch the first episode and get back into it? Well, I can only give you uh, an example. My wife and I watched The Wire because my my son and his wife said, "Watch The Wire." She's from Baltimore. Watch The Wire. I said, "Okay." Watched it. We watched the first episode. We couldn't take it. I think we turned it off three quarters of the way through. Too. They said, "Please, please, just stay with it." I said, "Okay. We love you. We're going to watch them." Turned out to be one of the best series on television, in our opinion. So, interpolating that, uh, extrapolating whatever those rapolating words are to the young pope. You know, if you're, there are people that might have religious objections to it because it's very, it, it's stylized and it's. What's the word when it's... Oh, God, don't get old, Steve. It's really hard. To I already forget that. everything. Don't worry. I, I, yeah. I'm there. But it's, you know, I, I would say, just, you know, I would say, give it, watch the first episode, watch the second episode. It is it is odd. It is stylized. It is uh, um, not anti-religious, but it's there is a, there are some religious elements that people might object to or lack of religious elements that people might object to. But, you know, I try, in the old days when I was acting, in, I used to try to sample every show just in case I got on it, you know, because sometimes I, I think I did an episode of Chips uh, and I called my wife and said, I don't know who the star is and who, who the people bringing coffee. I just don't know this show. So I've, I, I learned to try to watch, you know, every show. Not, and I tried actually to sample, because I got the time now, I, I try to sample all the shows, some of them I like, some of them I'll, I'll just watch one episode and, and go bye-bye. 
But as far as the young Pope is concerned, all I can tell you, man, is that I I enjoy it. Okay. I think that uh, Jude Law is great. And uh, what's her name? Uh, who's the woman in uh, The Godfather? Uh, Talia Shire? No. No, no. The, the, oh, dear God, shoot me now. That's all right. Anyway. Yeah, uh, no. the, the woman was married to, to Al Pacino. Oh, uh, Diane Keaton? I'm done. Put a core. Diane a Keaton. Anyway, she's Diane Keaton. She's great. You know, they're, 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 those two are terrific. And the whole cast is terrific. But uh, that's all I'm going to say about that. It's up yeah. to you now, my friend. Now, now, you said about when you run chips, you really didn't know anybody. Don't mention it if it's happened. Don't mention the title. But there was there any show, and as an actor, you want to get work, that you auditioned and you got <laughs> and you weren't a fan of and then you sat there. And I'm going to break this into two two parts. One, you weren't a fan of, but then after you did it, you said, you know what, this was a great experience. And the other part, you weren't a fan of, and after it, you said, yeah, I still don't like this show. <laughs> I think I can honestly, as I'm scrolling through this resume, I can <laughs> honestly say that there are some shows that I didn't care about, you know, after I did it. You're in, you do it, you do your, your, your job, and then you go home. I could, but there's, I don't think there's any show that I said after I was finished, Jesus, I hate this, what a piece of crap. I, you know, I wish I, I, I'd never done it. I actually I keep telling people, I regret every job that I've ever turned down because of various things, content or, or whatever. I, I do it. So I will do every show. I mean, there's not a show that I did afterwards that I'm finished with when I say, oh, God, this is, this is just awful. You know, they were just, they were jobs, and some of them were better than others. So I not necessarily lose. I, I told you I hated that in the beginning. The first week or so, it was it was I was going to quit, and uh, very glad I didn't. Now you said some jobs you turned down, and you know as you said for content or whatever, and you know you regret doing that. But was there any one specifically that you went, man, why did I turn it down? Um, no, uh, because most of the things that I turned down were either episodes or shows, series that 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 came and went. Uh, but there was, I, there was. I mean, there's a lot of actors in town who who turn things down and and probably regret it. I, I've never done that. Uh, I always regret auditioning and not getting the part. That's a whole other thing. But uh, no, I turned down a series once with some you know fairly reputable people, and they thought I was crazy. And then the thing came and went and it was gone. And I said, the only reason I regret not doing it is because you didn't have the check in the bank. Right now, you're also on one of my favorite shows, Curb Your Enthusiasm. How did that yeah, come baby. about? And you, you got a, you were on two episodes. It's such yeah. a funny, funny show. And I've heard the audition processes. You just improv with Larry, yeah. pretty much. Did they see, sought to come at like? Did you know Larry from your past days of acting, or did you ever interact with him, or did he? Because he seems like someone. You know, if you're in comedy, you probably watch not necessarily the news because it was different. But how did that whole audition come up, and what was the process like? Uh, I, I think I just got called, like a lot of other people called, to go in and, uh, and read for this. Everybody thinks I play a rabbi, but it wasn't. It's this, this guy who runs a, uh, an organization that, that gives donates, gives kidneys. He puts them on the list, and Larry wanted me to... He sucked up to me because he wanted his friend Richard Lewis to, uh, to um, get a kidney. So, uh, basically, I went in, a lot of other people there, and you had to improvise... Uh, like everybody did, and I just I figured I, I did a lot of Jewish stuff. I did a lot of Yiddish, and and they liked it, and I got the job. And and the 
the shoot was practically that. You know, they, they don't like you to see what the story's about. Uh, they don't, you know, they, they, they keep that very close to the vest. So when you get on the set and you're sitting across from Larry David, he sort of says, okay, now, here's what we're doing here, blah, 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 and you have to do this and you have to get this in, and, and you sort of wing it, and, and, which is great. I mean, I, mean I'm, I'm, I did enough improv in my life to, to, be, to be excited about being able to do that. But that was terrific. And then the, t- they broke it up into another show, which was even greater. And uh, again, people, it's like dinosaurs, not to new people. When they see it, they, that's what they, they remember that, 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 that character, is, they remember. Now, when you, when you wing it, do they do a bunch of different takes of you winging it yes. differently? Like, do you sit there and then do, after, let's say, you, do, you throw some improv out and it's, a, it's a pretty much a gem. But like anything, they probably wanted it more. Do they encourage you to, even though you may have delivered a gem, change that? I mean, like, how how is the shooting day? Because usually, when you see a scene, they shoot it, and then people do this. You know, if they screw up a line, then they redo it. But with this, is there a lot of alternate scenes? And did you know which one would be in it until it, or did you notice that when it came in the episode? No, I I, I never knew until I actually saw the episode. Because what happens is you're you're talking, and let's say this with, with this episode that I did, they, it was about baseball or something, and I and uh, you know I'm making it up as I'm speaking right now, but it says yeah, oh no, no, I love the Yankees, and Whitey Ford is a great thing, and I ha- and then you hear cut, and then Larry says okay, now what we have to get in here is blah 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 blah, so he said okay, you started again, he said well my wife and I went to cut, all right, now you can't really say the wife because we're not, you know, and that's the way that's the way the day is. So you're just you're just constantly changing things and adding information that's important to the show, uh, and then they turn around on him or they do the, 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 the two shot, and you know he, he he if it's on him and it's a two, he, he usually leads it because he knows what's going on, whereas some of the actors don't. But it's all it's 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 very much winged and it's and it's and it's great. I mean. I would love to do that. So if you talk to Larry, tell him that I'm available. I will, I will. Now, you, you, you mentioned that you've done a lot of theater with your wife. What's it like mm-hmm. working with your wife? Because you've been married for a long time, so you guys know each other so good, and you know each other really? how you are off stage, and you probably know your quirks and whatever. What's it like when you're on stage? Is it, is it, do you think it's easier to work with someone you've been married to for a long time? Or do you think it's harder because when they're acting, you may see different nuances that they do that you maybe think they shouldn't well that's a great question it's uh, i i don't think it's necessarily harder to work with somebody you know real well uh it could it, it could be easier because for one thing if there's a problem you can talk to to that person where sometimes you can't talk to another actor so but for i mean joy and i've been knowing we knew we met at columbia you know, which is an awful long time ago, and we've worked together for many, 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 many plays, and it's it's never been a problem. It's always been a joy, and uh, and usually because we are together so much and we can talk about stuff and work things out, it's probably easier to work with somebody that you know so well as opposed to an actor that you just meet on the set. You know, that's that's the name of that too. Now you were also in the uh, artist. In the oh yeah. Now, what is I mean, what was that like when it was because it was a very different. It was black and white. And it was I mean, what is that like when you go into a part like that? And it won the Oscar, right? It did. So, and what's it like to sit there and you know say, 
hey man, I was in an Oscar. It must be a great feeling to say you were in an Oscar-winning movie. How, what was the whole process on that movie? Hey, hey, I was in an Oscar-nominated movie as well. Remember, Fatal Attraction was nominated for lots of movies. Oh, you're right. You're right. Now, what, what did you play in Fatal Attraction? I played Michael Douglas's lawyer friend. And now... What's the matter with you? You didn't see that before you talked to me? I saw it. I looked at everything. <laughs> I must have missed the Fatal Attraction. All right, I'm hanging up. Goodbye. <laughs> I I blew it. First of all, that was a movie. Did you think when you were in that movie that it would change every relationship standard ever? And no. people would never look at rabbits the same and people would never no. look at Glenn Close. I mean, when you went in, when you got that part, did you think that people would go, oh my God, every woman would be sitting there going, I better, I better keep an eye on my man. No, uh, the answer is no. And that, that's a, that's a, the question that lots of people ask. Nobody knew, you know, that it was going to be this sociologically uh, uh, revealing and, and, and important. I mean, in, in England, they would call a woman, they still call women like Glenn Coase who are uh, hard on, your, on a man. They call them bunny boilers <laughs> because of fatal attraction. That's the truth. No, nobody knew. At least I didn't know. Uh, how how uh, that movie was going to be, uh, you know, dare I use the term iconic? I mean, it was just, that's Adrian Lyne. He's, he just did a terrific job making that movie come together. Very, very happy. And the nice thing is, I was doing not necessarily the news at the time in L.A., and they were going to film in New York, and, the, and, the produce, and I read for it here, I guess, and the producers said, get somebody from New York. And God bless him, Adrian Lyne says, no, I want, I want Stuart Pankin. And I used to fly in once a week for a month to do my scenes for Fatal Attraction while I was doing that, not necessarily the news. And I owe him a great deal. And, and the movie owes him a great deal because he did such a spectacular job. So you flew in, and so you would shoot, what days would you shoot not necessarily the news, and what days would you shoot Fatal? Uh, I, I think it varied. Um, if we were in the studio for not necessarily the news, it usually happened on the weekends. Uh, it, it varied, and they were both, you know, both both companies were very kind to let me do it. I. I rarely stayed more than two days. I flew in, you know, went to sleep, filmed, and then took the red eye out. It was it was tough, but but you know, exciting. Now, what was your experience on the artist? Very interesting. I mean, the only thing, well, well, two things I regret. Once I did a, uh, I had a, a wonderful scene which they cut, which you know that's that's always an actor's you know problem. Uh, so that made me very sad. But but beyond that, to sit around and watch, you know, the, the other thing I regret is that they, when they were talking to each other, they were talking in French. And I, I, I wish I could understand that so I could understand what was going on, what the notes were being given, what the problems were, what things were changing. I would have enjoyed that. But the set, uh, I mean, you know, doing it and having, having the director sort of go, okay, now do this, and you move over here, and do that. It was great. It was really two days worth of very nice theatrical experience. So, I mean, yeah, and then now when it won the Oscar, were you, were you like, I was in that. I mean, was that a great feeling? It was a very good feeling. It was a very good feeling. I was, I was just really upset that they didn't mention my name, but I'm, I've forgiven them for that. Now, it was a joke. I know it now. Now, as as your career rolls on, what have you been? Have you, are you now? You said you've been doing theater. You did theater back in two thousand fourteen. Do you still? Do you, I mean, after all these years, do you still have the love for the theater? I mean, is it something you constantly want to do? Or as you get older, does it get a little exhausting? Um, well, it depends on your physical, you know, your physical strength. 
uh, theater is exhausting, and uh, I mean it can be. I mean the last play I think I did the last play was of last year in November um, at the Santa Monica Playhouse, and I will continue to do plays there if they want me to do plays there. You know, I'm and I'm going it, to. It, it's something I don't want to give up. I don't want to give it up yet. If I have to, I will. Um, if I have to do it on a wheelchair, maybe I can just do the man who came to dinner around the country. Now, will you? Is there any voice work in your future? Because you did so much voice work, or have you done that recently? No, uh, nothing. Nothing that's coming up. Just small independent movies I do for, you know, for friends or people who who ask me. But vo- no voice. I mean, it'd be great if it if it if it happened, but it's it's not it's not happening. Now, when you do a small independent movie, what's the set like? I mean, is it is it because you did you know smaller movies? And throughout, you know, people people do smaller movies in and out throughout their career. Everything's changed. What's your view on independent movies now? Are they as independent as they say they used to be, or is it more fluff? Well, there's very. I mean, I guess there's varying degrees of independent movies. I mean, there are independent movies that have large budgets and they're just funded by, um, you know, uh, producers or, or maybe even studios. The independent movies that that you know that I do, we're talking about. Sometimes they're in, in their web series, their webisodes that are filmed in people's living rooms or in their parks. Or I did one recently that's, uh, you know, somebody hired a high school and you go in and you film there. I'm going to be doing one next month. Uh, the same thing. I mean, you, you do them on the run and you do them for fun. You don't do them for the money because there ain't no money. But, uh, I, I mean, you know more than I do, but it, there's, there's a difference between independent movies done on the web and independent movies that somebody self-produces and independent movies that are like, you know, Manchester by the Sea. Isn't that, I mean, is that an independent movie? I mean, what do you call an independent movie anymore? Right. The ones that I've been doing recently are, um, you know, buddies. You just do them for your friends and, and uh, if you like the material. So who, who are some of your Hollywood friends you've uh, made over the years? Like, do you have, you know, I talked to some actors that they have guys they play poker with. But, you know, and you seem very close to your wife, but she's also a fellow thespian, so you're, yeah. you're close with her. But is there any, like, act, like, a group of actors you have hung out with or you get really happy to see when you when you run into them? Well, yeah. I mean, sometimes, I mean, I do play poker with a bunch of actors. Uh, there's an actor, uh, Gibby Brand and uh, Tony Pandolf. I mean, these are guys that didn't, probably nobody would have heard of, but they're, you know, they're nice guys, good actors. Uh, Henry Pollock, uh, God rest his soul, was a... Was, a, was another actor. Um, Sam, Sam McMurray, who was the guy who left not necessarily the news to do a play so that I came in to do it. I'm always grateful to him. We play, we play golf together all the time. Tom Parks, who took over uh, the, the anchor desk at not necessarily the news in, in 86 or something. We play golf. I'm going to play golf with him tomorrow. And as far as actors, I like actors. I mean... George Weiner, wonderful actor, I like to hang out with, Steve Vinovich, uh, Alan Black. I mean, there's a lot of guys that, that maybe the public doesn't know off the top of their head. They might recognize them. But, uh, yeah, I, I enjoy hanging out with actors. Now, do you ever think and do you ever look back and sit there and think when, you know, you, you went to, after you got out of college and you went to Columbia to get, you know, something to, as a backup, did you ever think back then that your career would span this long and how much success you would have? Is that something that you thought of as a young actor? Or did you just act because you just loved it? Yes. Yeah. When you were my age in college, the reason that I wanted to get into acting because I, I really loved it. It wasn't a time when, 
when oh huge salaries are you know were being plastered all over the all of I just wanted to act I just wanted to I enjoyed getting on stage I enjoyed you know doing the different characters it never you know and as far as longevity no I, I never until I came to California and said oh you know maybe I can make a living at that uh, that I even think about oh let me let me see if we can keep this going but in 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 school in college in Columbia you just you just wanted to act. You just wanted to have that experience. And it's always, you know, it's a cliche, but it's nice to be able to do something you like or you love, you know. I mean, I was never or rarely, when I got a job, said, oh, geez, i got to get up and do this. It was always a job. You know, acting was always a job that uh, I enjoyed doing and hopefully will continue to enjoy doing. Now, did you ever get to do a play in back in Philadelphia because they have a lot of theater there, or is that something that you haven't done? <laughs> no, that's uh, that's something I filmed a movie in Philadelphia, but I never did. I never did theater in Philadelphia. You shot the mannequin, right? In Philadelphia, the second mannequin. Mannequin two, mannequin two, right? That's the uh, that's the only thing I think I filmed in Philadelphia. Okay, well that's good. Well, you know, I I, I want to thank you. You know, it, I was surprised. I sent you a message a while ago, and then I got it just the other day, and yeah, oh. It's well, because weird. I never look at the damn messenger on Facebook. I didn't even know it was there. Yeah, because that's funny. I've been getting to happen a lot lately. Because I say it like two years ago. And I always say to my girlfriend, I go, these are like little presents. You know, because I send them and I forget. You know, because you send someone <laughs> and you don't want to be a pain. And all of a sudden I sit there and I get a message. I go, holy crap, this is awesome. And it happened a few yeah, times I, this year. And when I responded, <laughs> when I responded to you, I'm saying, he's going to think that, that, you know, that I took a trip to Venus and then came back. But I literally, when I went on to, I said, what is this thing, Messenger? And I clicked on it, and there you were. And I'm glad I did. <laughs> I'm glad. Well, I want to thank you for coming on. Uh, now, do you, do you tweet at all, or are you, are you not a Twitter guy? Mm, my, my, my daughter-in-law made me join, but I never tweet. All right. Well, people, go on the IMDb. Look at Stuart Pankin. Go watch his work. And if you haven't, if you're over forty and you haven't seen Hollywood Nights, and if, if if you tell me that, if I see you out, I will. I won't even want to talk to you because it's <laughs> his role is great, and his his line at the end is great, and and Robert Wall is great. So you got to watch that. Go watch uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm. Go watch all the shows. Go watch Donners if you can find it. So please, look oh, up God on MDB, Stuart Pankin. And people, follow me on Twitter. I'm at Cooper Talk. That's at Cooper Talk. I tweet a lot. Uh, you can also go to my website, coopertalk.net. I have 590 episodes up there. Email me, wow. Cooper, at coopertalk.net. And also, what I'm doing now is, if you have a podcast, if you want to start one, email me. I will I will tell you how to do it. I you would be, Since I left the, not doing it in the studio... You will not believe how easy it is to do the podcast like I do. And you know what? I'm a no-name, and I get these guests. And it's all easy, and you can learn an interview process. So email me, cooper at coopertalk.net, and I will help you out, and I will tutor you, and I will do Skype sessions or phone sessions, whatever you want. And also, don't forget my other website, stopthesalt.com. When I had that health problem, I wrote a book. It's a, it's 120 low-sodium recipes, easy to make. No pictures of ingredients to confuse you, no big long it's easy and it's cooking for one and you can get it at stopthesalt.com you can get it there I'll sign it for you stopthesalt.com or you can go to amazon.com and get it there but if you get it at stopthesalt.com I make more money so that's all I'm saying it's all about me making money so follow me on twitter at Cooper Talk. look up Stuart Pankin on IMDB watch his past work I'm Steve Cooper I'm only as hip as my guest don't forget drink your vegetable. Duh, drink your water eat your vegetables take your vitamins and I'll talk to you guys next week